We're going to continue in our series in the book of Romans. I've entitled this message this morning, How Broken Do You Have to Be to Be Broken? We're actually going to uh, attempt Mission Impossible this morning. We're going to go through three, uh, two chapters. How's that? <laughs> Every, um, whenever a, a, a teacher decides they can't continue with Children's Church, Annette has started to do an exit interview where she gives them a little sheet of paper and they write down various stuff. And, and uh, she got one back the other day and, and this was the request that the children have longer at Children's Church. So I thought, okay, I'll preach longer this morning. No. But we will go past half past because uh, I haven't got much time and I'm going to need a little bit of it. So uh, if you are very religious and half past 11 is your pumpkin hour, we'll just pray that you can keep going a bit longer because we will. <clears throat> How broken do you have to be to be broken? As we've been going through the book of Romans, we, we're beginning to see that R- Paul is is establishing some very clear uh, understandings for a church that needs them. He's systematically going through what we need to believe as Christians. And uh, he's taking his time, because within the church there are problems, there are difficulties going on. And he's making sure that the church understands what it believes so that it can overcome those difficulties and become the church that God has called it to be. And he's addressing questions like, what do I believe? What do I, as a Christian, really believe? What does it mean to be a Christian? How do Christians stand firm in a world that opposes everything they stand for? And you will understand that the world in which we live now is increasingly opposing what you stand for. Whether you like it or not, as soon as you, you know, like I said to you before, you'll sit on a, in a plane and you'll ask the person, oh, what do you do? And they'll tell you what they do. And then they say, well, what do you do? As soon as you t- I tell them I'm a pastor or a minister, the conversation's over. He's like, oh, and that's it. You know, there's, there's just this inner, inner dislike of what we believe. Part of it's earned, as I said earlier, because I think the church has behaved quite badly in, in years gone by. But part of it is just an inner resistance to the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we as Christians stand firm in a world that opposes all we stand for? How should the church live in the midst of all that's going on inside it and around it? How should we live? What should our lives look like? What should the church look like? How should we behave? Paul is addressing all of these things in Romans. It's a huge book, and I am getting so excited. The more I spend time in it, I'm getting excited at what Paul is trying to bring out here for us, and I hope you will get excited as well. So we've been on a journey. We started in chapter 1, and we saw he starts chapter 1 just by way of introduction. He starts chapter 1 with, a, with, with the word the gospel, and he mentions the word the gospel four or five times there. And the word gospel means good news. And Paul is saying, I am writing to you to tell you about the good news. The good news isn't a message, it's a person. The Lord Jesus Christ. He said it's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask the question, well, why is good news necessary? Good news is necessary because there's lots of bad news. And then he moves on in verses 18 to 32 of chapter 1 to tell us the bad news. What humanity is like at its core. And he shares with us in verse, verses 18 to 32 that, he, the, that humanity, humankind, is broken, busted, 
You all of you had toys when you were kids and you treated one badly and it got broken and you, you probably remember crying when it broke. When something's broken, it's broken. And some things are broken beyond repair. Humanity is broken beyond repair. We behave the way we do, not because we're bad. We behave the way we do because we're broken. That's the difference. It's brokenness that causes the behavior on this earth. It's brokenness that causes us to treat one another badly. It's brokenness that causes us to lose it. It's brokenness that causes us to act the ways people do. Mankind is broken in need of a cure. And that's what Paul is establishing in chapter 1. And in verses 18 to 32, he mentions three areas where we are dysfunctional in because of this brokenness. We're dysfunctional spiritually. God has gone from his place in the center of our lives to some place on the periphery or not there at all. We are dysfunctional spiritually. Many Christians are dysfunctional spiritually. We need to understand that. We're only functional when God's at the center, when he's in control. If God's not in control, it's dysfunctional. Oh, that's not good news, is it? Secondly, we are dysfunctional sexually. We talked about that. Don't need to talk about that anymore. Get the message if you need it. By the way, it's on on the computers in the office. You just bring a memory stick in and we can copy it for you. It's not going to be put online. All right. And we're dysfunctional socially. We don't know how to treat one another. We don't know how to treat other people. We treat other people badly because we are dysfunctional because of our brokenness. And Paul is making great pains to to point out that that list of things in verses 18 to 32, which we won't read again, we've read it before, that list of things is not a list of things God's going to punish in order. You know, I'm going to really hit you for that one, and then I'll come down to, I'll just tell you off for this one. It's not a list of naughtiness. We get that all wrong. We think those things in in verses 18 to 32 are a a list of real bad behaviors, and the ones at the top are the worst behaviors. You know, you're you're a shocker up there, and you're just a bit of a bad person down here, but it's it's a list of badness. It's not. It's not a list of things you're going to go to hell for. Those are just key areas that reveal how broken we are. Those behaviors reveal our brokenness. So the problem is brokenness, not the behaviors. Do you understand that? We have tended to focus on behavior as a church. Not here, but I'm talking about the church worldwide. We have certain behaviors that we don't like, and some behaviors we tolerate, and other behaviors we like. And, and we, we focus on how people behave, and Paul says, no, 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 it's not behavior, it's in a state. We are broken people, which causes behaviors. You can't fix the person by changing the behavior. You've got to fix the person by changing the brokenness. Make sense? Now, surely you'll say now, and many people do, well, that list of things in verses 18 to 32 and read them at your leisure of chapter 1, those things are the bad people. But surely there's lots of good people. I've, I've talked to non-Christians, and they say, well, that, you, you can't, you, that, you're talking about bad people. I, I'm not a sinner. I'm a good person. I'm nice to people. I, I haven't done a bad thing since I was three. What about the good people? And this world is full of good people. You'd agree, wouldn't you? And many of them aren't Christians. There's lots of non-Christians better than you and I. Shouldn't be, but there are. It's not about 
goodness and badness. So, so what about the good people? What about them? I've been, I'm sure you have too. We've been to funerals and, and, and the, the, they, they, people stand up and they, they tell you what a great person this person was. And someone will then say, because they're such a great person, they must be in heaven. That's the biggest lie of all. It's not about good or bad. It's about state of the heart. So what about the good people? What about them? Romans chapter 2 and chapter 3 turns to them. So in chapter 1, he looks at the baddies. Now in verses chapter 2 and chapter 3, he deals with the goodies. Where are they in God's picture? Surely good enough is good enough, wouldn't you think? And if it is, how good do I need to be to be good enough? What kind of a person do you have to be to be good enough to earn God's favor? How broken do you have to be to be broken? I want to tell you a little story. A story that probably all of you have had happen to you. One of your darling children or the neighbor or somebody smashes one of your windows with a cricket ball, all right? Smash the smithereens. How broken is the window? Broken. Can you use it? What do you have to do with it? Get it replaced. You can't stick it back together with tape even though you try. You've got to get a glazier in to replace the window. A broken window needs to be replaced. So you get the glazier in and he does his work and he's, he's working away, working away and then you hear a naughty word and you come out and there's a little crack across the corner. He's been putting it in so carefully and he's hit a nail or something and it's just cracked in the corner. You know, just, just in the corner? Now, would you be happy if he walked away and said, job done? What would you want him to do? Hmm? Would you say, oh, that's okay. I'll just put a bit of tape on it. Now, you paid for a new window. What do you want? New window. How broken is broken? Even a little bit broken is still broken. True? That little break will leak. That little break will let water in and damage the sash of the window. That little break, even though it's little, is still broken. How broken do you need to be to be broken? Even a little bit broken is too broken. Paul now turns his attention to two other classes of human being. In Romans chapter 2, and I'm going to read the first four verses. Got your Bibles, you need to have them with me because we're going to be doing a, a sprint. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on somebody else. <laughs> For at whatever point you judge the other, you're condemning yourself. How many of you know that we criticize people for the things we do? Right? Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you'll escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness towards you leads you towards repentance? Paul is dealing here in chapter 2, verses 1 to 16, with that group of people who think they're good enough. We all know one. 
They've all got something to say about other people. Did you see what Sarah and Terry are doing? Sometimes they're in the church. Did you know what's going on? That shouldn't be happening. She shouldn't be on the stage. You get that? And we have these kinds of people, good people. They, they, they just wonderful people. But Paul's saying, what about them? What about the kind of person who says, well, I've done nothing wrong? What about them? Paul's saying, those people don't escape. Even though the corner of the window is cracked, it's still broken. Even though the rest of it looks marvelous, one little crack is enough. And he said, I want you to understand all of humanity's cracked. We're all broken. Even the goodies are broken. There's no one goody, 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 goody. There's no goody gumdrops in humanity. I've eaten my way through half a tub of goody, goody gumdrops in the last three days. I love the stuff. But <laughs> what's that got to do with this? Nothing. I just thought I'd say it. But you need to laugh because it's serious. There's no goody gumdrops, people. Every single one of us have a little bit of brokenness, even though we think we're marvelous. How broken do you have to be to be broken? A little bit's enough. Then there's another group of people that Paul addresses in Romans chapter 2, verses 17, through to chapter 3, verse 20. And that's those with a religious background. I'll read verse 17 to 24 of Romans chapter 2. Now you, so he's finished with the goody-goodies. Now he turns around, all the Jews are thinking, oh yeah, but we've got it, you know. We've got the Torah, we've got the Word of God, we've, we've got the background, we, we've got the teaching, we, we, we've got the worship, we, we've got the Word of God, we, we have got, we are the man. And Paul turns around and says, now you. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew... If you rely on the law and brag about your relationship with God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you're instructed by the law, if you're convinced that you're a guide for the blind and a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? He said, oh, no, 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 we don't steal. How much did you put in the offering? Oh, let's, let's change the subject. He said, do you steal? You who abhor, abhor, sorry, you who say people shouldn't commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So Paul now turns to the religious people of the day, and in those days they were Jewish, but they could be anything today. He turns to those who are relying on religious things, and he says, you're just as bad. You've, you, you think you're not broken, but you're still a little bit broken, and a little bit broken, still broken. See, what Paul is saying in these th two chapters is that self-effort is not enough to fix the human problem. You can't fix who we are by self-help. You can't fix who we are by trying hard. 
You can't fix who we are by changing the outside wrapper. You know, I, I, um, my brother was, was a missionary in Japan for 20-something years. And we went to Japan a couple of, couple of times to visit. And, and in, in Japan, when you buy a gift, it's got to be wrapped in real fancy wrapping. The fancier the wrapping, the more prestigious the gift. Now, the gift inside could be total rubbish. But if it's long as it's in fancy wrapping, it says something about you and about the person you're giving it to. There's more honor in the wrapping. Now, as for me, I don't care what it's wrapped in as long as it's a good present, okay? You with me? You can, you can wrap it in newspaper, toilet paper. I don't care what it's wrapped in as long as it's a good present. You know, you get your calculator out. And, oh, yeah, it's a good present. But, you know, we treat ourselves like that. We think, well, if I, just wrap the, if I just wrap myself up in some pretty paper, no one will know. You know, if I just put some fancy wrapping on myself, if I just change the external behaviors, God will be happy with me. It's not about that. Paul's saying, our effort cannot make any difference. How broken do you need to be to be broken? Once you're broken, you're broken. You can't fix it by putting tape over it. You can't fix it by putting a curtain in front and say, oh, we'll just put a curtain and no one will see the crack. Most of us are walking around with curtains, huh? We're hiding our cracks. And we put fancy faces on and we put smiles on and we put fancy religious behavior and we sort of float around like, like we're God's gift to humanity, but there's cracks there and eventually the curtain pulls apart and everyone can see them. They're there. And what Paul is saying is, Self-effort doesn't fix the human problem. Moral self-effort falls short. doesn't matter how good you try to be, you can't be good enough. Religious self-effort falls short. It never, it's self-effort. If it's self-effort, it won't work. And Romans 2 verse 5 says this, but because of your stubbornness, he's talking to good people here, by the way, not to the naughty ones in chapter 1, the goodies in chapter 2. He's talking to the goody-goody gumdrops. He says, because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. What he's saying is there's going to come a day when God righteously judges mankind. Not because God's a big meanie and he's sitting up there waiting to bash somebody. What he's saying is there is brokenness. And God, God is angry with what that brokenness does to his creation. He's not angry with you and I. He's angry with the result of it. He's angry that our behavior hurts people. He's angry that our behavior on this planet is destroying this planet. It annoys him. It makes him upset. And eventually that needs to be judged. It needs to be sorted because God is a God of righteousness. You see, we're broken because we choose to live without God. That's why we're broken. And God's anger is not at us, but at the damage living like that causes. So we're not going to finish there because there's good news. Where's the good news in that? Well, I want you to understand this morning, this, this, the first bit of good news is this. Nobody has an advantage. Now, I've heard people say, oh, it's all right for you. You had a good family. It's all right for you. You had a mother who loved you. 
it's all right for you. You didn't have a father who abused you, and so on and so forth. But what this passage in Romans tells us is no one has an advantage. The good people don't have any advantage over the bad people. A good home or a moral upbringing is no advantage when it comes to eternal issues. A good education is no advantage. Whether you've got a master's degree or you dropped out of school at the age of five, it doesn't matter when it comes to the issues of the heart. A religious upbringing is no advantage to issues of the heart. I've seen some very righteous-looking, religious, broken people, and they are broken to the core. Bible knowledge on its own does not deal with issues of the heart. Those are all external things. If we don't allow them to get into the inside, all they do is put a fancy bit of paper around a broken mess. God's judgment upon broken humanity is just because everybody is in the same boat. And what's Paul's conclusion? Let's look at chapter 3, verse 9. We're going to read all this through to verse 20. Here's his conclusion of the matter. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. And we're going to come back to that little phrase in a minute. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. He's laying a case here. He's saying, look, you need to understand the state of humanity. There is not one who is in the right. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. I want you to know I didn't seek God. God sought me. I didn't find him. He found me. I wasn't even interested. He chased me. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. Their poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. You just have to spend a day in an office to find that out. Or in a staff, class, a staff room in a, in a school. Cool. Morning tea time. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. The way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. He's laying a foundation. He's saying, people, your effort is not enough. How broken do you need to be broken? If you're broken, you're broken. You need more than good works to fix the crack. Now, I want us to go back to verse 9, because this is crucial. Remember, we're not talking about bad behavior. We're talking about brokenness. It's a crucial difference. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. Verse Chapter 3, verse 9. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. This phrase, under sin, is really important to what Paul is saying. 
Sin is not a wrong action. It's not a thing that we people do. We talk about, oh, I sinned. We, that means we did something wrong. It's not wrong things that people do, but a moral force. We are under sin. There is something holding us down. There is something holding us back. There is something that is surrounding us like a straitjacket, holding us from being the people God wants, wants us to be. We are under sin. It's a moral force. It's a state of brokenness. Sin is a moral force that takes over when God is taken out of the center. When God is no longer at the center of our lives, that moral force called sin takes over, whether you're a Christian or not. Why did you say that? Because it's true. Sin is a moral force. It's not a bad action. See, if it was just a bad action, God would have written down a list of rules and we'd just obey them and we'd be good people. But there's more than that. He says, those things will not change you. They just change the wrapper. You're broken on the inside. We've got to fix the inside. The brokenness, the sin is what needs to be dealt with. And there are six Old Testament understandings of the word sin. We'll go through them quickly. I've done it before. Sin is a moral force that causes us to miss the mark or fall short. Sin isn't missing the mark and falling short. Sin is the moral force that causes you to. See the difference? Sin is the moral force that causes you to overstep a boundary. Sin isn't overstepping a boundary. Sin is what motivates you to overstep the boundary. Big difference. Sin is a moral force that causes you to fall instead of standing, to be weak or crooked. Falling instead of standing is not the sin. It's what causes you to fall. That is the sin. It's something that's within us, not something we do. We're leading towards something that we're going to be looking at next week. And that's what Jesus did on the cross and why he did it. It's really important we understand this. Because otherwise, why did Jesus bother to die, go for, to that length for us, if it's just a matter of changing behavior? It's not. There's something deeper at work here. There's something right on the inside of humanity that only the cross could fix. Number four, sin is a moral force that causes us to be ignorant instead of knowing. Five, it's a moral force that causes causes us to shortchange or diminish that which should be given in full. And it's a moral force that causes us to be willfully careless. And Paul says in verse nine, all are under the influence of sin. Everybody. D, including you. Isn't that nice? All are defeated by it. That's what under means. Now, if you've done wrestling, you know that when you are under, you are defeated. When that great big fat guy's on top of you, you are finished. The game is over. Your shoulders are on the ground. You are under. You are defeated. We are under it. We are defeated by it. We are kept under by it. We are controlled by it. We are dominated by it. We are held captive by it. That's what under sin means. In other words, it's out of your control. How broken is broken? Even a little bit causes this. All are under the influence of sin. Verse 10, he says, no one's in the right. Verse 11, no one understands. No one seeks after God. Verse 12, all have turned away. 
And in verse 19, he said something very interesting. He says, so that every mouth may be silenced. Paul, this whole three chapters is a law court. A case is being built up. And in a law court in those days, something strange happened when you had finished defending yourself. When you have no more to say for yourself in the court of law, you have to put your hand over your mouth. And if someone in the court thinks you've said enough and that's enough, they hit you on the mouth. That's why Jesus was hit on the mouth. That's why Paul was hit on the mouth when they came before the high priests. Hitting the person on the mouth or the hand over the mouth says, okay, that's enough. You've said enough. Nothing more for you to say. Court's over. And Paul is saying, everyone be silent. The hand over the mouth. There's nothing more to say for you. It's over, Rover. Guilty as charged. That's what he's saying. In a court of law, there's no more defense. Paul's saying everyone stands before God without defense. Pretty hopeless, wouldn't you say? Should we all go home and cry? Should we stop now so you can all go home and cry? No, I've got to finish. Because verse 21 follows verse 20. Come on, we've got to read our Bibles well, people. But now, it's like a trumpet blast. It's like the, you know, you know you're, you're, you're watching a movie and you know what's going to happen because you're, and you know they're not going to die. You know Superman's coming onto the screen. You know, you just know, you just know, you know, you know, you know, it's going to go good. You know because the trumpet blast. And this is Paul's trumpet blast. He says, but now. A righteousness from God apart from law has been known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. But now, Yes, it's hopeless. If it's just your effort, you are finished. There's nothing that can be done for you. But now God has done it all in Jesus. But now. Oh, yeah, it's good. What's Paul saying? Mankind is hopelessly lost. When Adam and Eve, excuse me, when Adam and Eve stuffed it up, they did a good job of it. So that every other little Adam and Eve that was born from that moment on was born cracked, broken, under the influence, under the control of this moral force that causes us to behave in ways we shouldn't behave. But the problem isn't the behavior, the problem is the crack. But now, God, recognizing we couldn't fix our crack, sent his son to do it for us. Send his son to take the crack away, to deal, take that moral force called sin and to deal with it on the cross once and for all. And you've got to be here next week because we're looking at how it was done. And I tell you, it is exciting. If you're not here next week, I'm not going to do it again the week after. You will miss. But for now, 
God sent his son to fix our brokenness. It's not through anything you and I can do. It's through grace by faith in him. It's seeing what he did on the cross for us and saying, God, I don't understand it. Sounds weird to me. But if you say it's the fix, I'll take the fix. Because I can't fix my mess. I've tried and it doesn't work. Verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But verse 24, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. People, that's the good news. That's the gospel. The good news is, it doesn't matter how broken you are, you're broken and you can't fix yourself, but only God can fix our mess. (laughs) But he's got to be at the center. That's where the fixing takes place. You don't ask the glazier to fix your window from his home. He's got to come to your home. He's got to come into your house. And he's got to fix it from the inside. And people, you can't get God to fix you way out there. You've got to invite him in to that place of the center and say, God, fix my mess. I have tried putting pretty paper on me for years. And there's still a smelly bit on the inside that I can't get rid of. There's that crack I've tried to hide and it it's just won't go away. God fix me. We're broken. But Jesus came to set us right again. All we've got to do is trust in his method. As ridiculous as it might sound to our mighty human minds, God in his wisdom has chosen that method and we'll see why next week. There's a reason for it. All we need to do is trust and believe in Jesus for ourselves. What we could never do, God has done.